We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Cho. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 14, Manhattan. The air date for this episode was February 17th, 2013. The writers for this episode were the Kitsowitz, and the director was Dean White. The title card features the Manhattan skyline. We begin in the enchanted forest of the past. Rumpelstiltskin arrives home to a loving and devoted Mila and jubilantly announces that he has been conscripted to the military to fight in the Ogre's War. Despite her husband's excitement, Mila is less than enthusiastic about the opportunity, concerned for Rumpelstiltskin's safety. He explains that this is his chance to get out from the shadow cast by his father, a chance to prove that he is not the coward his father was. He's not thrown away his shot. Yeah, but he does, though. I mean, so does Hamilton. Hamilton was a fuckboy. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, mean, I would call Rumpel a fuckboy at some point when he's the dark one. <laughs> I mean, he was in the fuckboy club. Yeah, absolutely. We, we have established he was part of the fuckboy club, so fantasy there we fuck go. Boy. Fantasy Another fuck? thing that he shares in common with Alexander Hamilton. But yeah. did uh, fuck boy. Martha Washington name her tomcat after him? Meow. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know her. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you, though? Why don't you write? Why don't you call? Martha asks about you constantly. <laughs> I only know, like, three songs, and that's not one of them. <laughs> you could do all the King George songs. Well, the King George song. I mean... To be fair, the best song. They're real good. They're yeah. real good. Reluctantly, Mila agrees and tells him to go and fight honorably. The two declare their love for one another, and Mila suggests that when he returns, they start a family together. So again, I super disagree with equating bravery to fighting in a war or somehow being in the military proves a man like is not a coward. Like it's some classist bullshit that to me, is the true crux of Rumpel's issues. Also, once again, we have this different layer to Mila. Like, she's really loving and very happy to see him. She's, like, learning his trade. She's, like, learning how to, I don't know if it was, like, sewing or embroidering. I think it was embroidering. But, you know, like, they seem very happy together. So a totally different dynamic than we have seen ever with them. And I'll talk more about their costumes after the recap. Somewhere in Manhattan, a cab pulls up and Mr. Gold steps out, followed by Henry and Emma. They are in front of an apartment complex, the place the Magic Globe led them to. Emma deduces from Mr. Gold's uncomfortable expression that his son is not expecting them. Emma chimes, well, who doesn't love a surprise? And they approach the building. Emma and Gold are a platonic match made in snark heaven. <laughs> Back in Storybrooke, Regina Mills and Cora are having a heart-to-heart -heart as Regina expresses her concern that Henry has gone off with Emma and Mr. Gold. Cora tries to comfort her, telling her Henry will be safe and home soon, but Regina remarks that regardless, he will not be with her. Oh my god, Barbara Hershey is in normal people clothes in this scene, and it is freaking me the hell out. Why is it freaking you out? Because up until now, every single time we've seen Cora, she's in these big old, like, voluptuous, I'm a villain ball gowns. And now she's just like, I got pants on. And I'm like, what? You can do that? I she's was... rocking that power suit. I'm not saying she's not. I'm just saying I found it jarring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like that 
Cora has decided to like one up Regina's girl bossing and go for the pantsuit. Cora's like, hell yeah, there's pantsuits here. And she looks great. I mean, I miss her fabulous dresses too, but she looks great. And also I think she's going the extreme and rocking the pantsuit no undershirt. So an icon. I'm not saying she doesn't look good. I'm saying it was really surprising. Me out. Yeah, it was really I surprising know that yeah. she could wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's always worn the pants. Well, yeah, in that sense, <laughs> in the figurative pants. <laughs> Hook appears and asks where Mr. Gold has gone. Regina claims she does not know, but Hook states that if Mr. Gold has left town, he is powerless and can be killed. Cora explains that if she or Regina leave town, they lose their magic. Regina adds that while their memories will be intact because they were not affected by the curse, they will still have no advantage against gold. Hook says he does not need magic and starts to leave, but Regina asks him how he plans to find and kill Mr. Gold, and Cora tells him he is not going anywhere. Hook cries, (laughs) more like Hook whines, (laughs) that he deserves his vengeance, but Cora pacifies him by explaining that with gold gone, they can search for the one thing that can actually kill him in Storybrooke, his dagger. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, Mr. Gold, Emma, and Henry are inside the apartment lobby, looking over the intercom panels for a familiar name. Emma and Henry ask Mr. Gold if he has any idea which one could be his son, and he says the globe's magic doesn't work that way. Emma then notices a nameless entry for apartment 407, and believes Mr. Gold's son could be there. Mr. Gold says it could be just an empty apartment, but Emma reminds him that finding people who do not want to be found is her job. She presses the button and claims she has a UPS package for the apartment owner. The other end of the intercom disconnects and there is scuffling above them. Emma realizes their target is trying to run. Rushing outside, they see a man climbing down the fire escape. Mr. Gold tells Emma he is calling in the favor she owes him. Emma tells Gold to watch Henry before she takes off in pursuit of the runner. I love that Henry was all like, maybe you should have said FedEx. (laughs) I love that. Very cute. I was just like, that's, you're right, kid. That's what did it. (laughs) Uh, It it was, it was the UPS. Nobody uses UPS. (laughs) (laughs) He hates UPS. Using a shortcut, Emma cuts him off and tackles him. But when she looks up, Emma is shocked by recognition. The runner is Neil Cassidy. That boy is here. That boy! Love that boy. Love that boy. Neil seems pleasantly surprised to see Emma, but she is less than thrilled. She tells him she is not answering any of his questions until he tells her if he is Mr. Gold's son. He's confused, especially when Emma begins stammering about he and Mr. Gold played her. But when she calls Mr. Gold by his real name, Rumpelstiltskin, Neil's expression quickly shifts to one of horror. The pair yell at each other, but Emma gets the upper hand. I love this scene. She's just like, hush, I can shout louder than you. Yes. Her line was like, I am the only one allowed to be angry here. And her delivery was so good. So good. So good. She excels at being petulant. I love her. It's wonderful. Yeah, because he's like freaking out that his dad is, he's like, oh, you brought my fucking dad here? Oh my God, what the fuck? And she's just like, whoa, dude. (laughs) She's just like, shut your mouth. I'm the one who gets to be mad. Yeah. Neil agrees to talk, but not out in the open and suggests a nearby bar. (laughs) He's finally going to get to take her to that drink. (laughs) So you can tell Hassie. Okay, never mind. (laughs) We got you. We got you. We got you. Thank you. She wants him to stay, but he insists, no, 
bars better. Don't worry. You can keep yelling at me when we get there. <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> Neil, Neil is Bay. Bay is Neil. Yay, the embargo is over. <laughs> I try oh, and we can talk about it now. We can talk about it now. I know. I'm so happy. We've had to be so coy up until this point. <laughs> <sighs> I feel like the last few episodes were really, really breaking breaking shell down. It was it really was. <laughs> especially Tal- from Tallahassee onward. Like it was just like mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I'm trying to remember my first reaction to this episode back in 2013. And I think I was pretty surprised by the reveal. On rewatch, I can tell there's definitely some pieces setting this up, but I, I don't really remember picking it up on my first watch. Like, I think I remember thinking there's more to Neil, but like not connecting that he was Balefire. I, I, I actually do want to interject because now I do remember this. I remember when, what was it, season two began with this guy, right? Because mm-hmm. remember, it's like him in New York, like listening to his music and stuff. And then, and I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, who is this? Why are we in New York? <laughs> like, what is, what's going on? Like, where is this postcard? What the fuck? <laughs> and being like so angry and confused. <laughs> Just like, I don't get it. And then like, I didn't even put two and two together. I think by the time I saw Tyler <laughs> So that that was this oh that was the guy, guy. that's yeah. funny no so yeah i i was bamboozled i don't remember what my reaction was to the reveal of neil being bay but i do remember when we first got the season opener i was delighted because i had seen true blood before this yeah and i, and I loved him on that and i was all like oh he here i love him our, our favorite serial killer. I know. On True Blood. He's so wonderful until you find out. I know. He really is. He's such a nice guy until you find out. Just like, oh, Renee, can we just go back a couple episodes ago before I knew you were a serial killer? Because you I love so you. so cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I know. He was so good with um Arlene. Arlene's kids. and Yeah. He's just, he's the cutest guy, which is why, like, I watched season one of True Blood multiple times, and I feel like each time my brain just, like, cut the knowledge off oh completely going because i'm always just like oh renee no. I love him. oh renee mm-hmm. renee's in here i love this guy and then yeah, you're so like my brain just like chops out what yeah. happens even though it's like my fourth time watching true blood season yeah. one <laughs> it's less extreme but it's it's every time i watch frozen when we get to love as an open door i'm like oh this is so cute and i'm like oh no <laughs> Also, the music in the scene was so good. It's like this rework of Emma's theme. And it's so perfectly like dramatic and even just like a little angry sounding, just like Emma herself. And I think Mark really knocked it out of the park here. I, I usually almost always love the music on the show, but like this was a great standout music moment. So good. Also, I have to say on behalf of Emma and Neil, ouch, that collision on like the wet cobblestone would have hurt so bad i felt it in my bones they're tough meanwhile mr gold and henry are waiting back at the apartment building henry tells mr gold not to worry that his mom is really good at catching people mr gold explains that his son has been running for a very long time and that he is probably just as good henry says that at least they have found him and mr gold agrees henry thanks mr gold for the hot dog he bought him which is so fucking cute. And Mr. So Gold. Goddamn cute. So cute. <laughs> and Mr. Gold thanks Henry in return for bringing Emma to Storybrook. He says that without Emma breaking the curse, he would never have been able to leave to find his son. He tells Henry he is a remarkable young man. 
Henry tells Mr. Gold in turn that he forgave Emma for giving him up for adoption and that he is sure Mr. Gold's son will forgive him as well. But Mr. Gold explains that it's not quite the same scenario. Henry tells him that all that matters is that he's there and that he wants his son back. I love this scene. I fucking love it. It is so warm and fuzzy and Henry is such a good boy giving his grandpa a pep talk. I do love soft golden Henry moments. They're one of my favorite things in the show, actually. Yeah, I love him calling him a remarkable young man. Like, it's so nice to have people recognize Henry for just this clever little problem solver and really strong communicator that he is. Like, I don't know. He's he's oh, just absolutely. a great, great little guy. Because, yeah, Henry, Henry does a ton and I feel like he very seldom gets the recognition for all the shit that he does to, like, keep this goddamn family together, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it is nice that Gold acknowledges that Henry is awesome because he is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I kind of like, I guess, headcanon that, you know, Gold's always kind of had a soft spot for Henry. Just oh, he absolutely oh, has. Like, we've pretty much seen it from day one. Yeah. Like, like even here, like, the walkie-talkies. Yes, the walkie-talkies. Yes, the walkie-talkies. Yeah. Yeah, the walkie-talkie scene is one of my favorite scenes in Once Upon a Time because it's just, it's so soft and it definitely, I I think it definitely points that too, that from day one, Mr. Mm -hmm. Gold had a soft spot for Henry. At the bar, Emma asks if Neil knew who she was when they met, and he tells her that if he had known she was from the Enchanted Forest, he would have never gotten involved with her, and that he was in hiding to get away from that life. Emma asks if he was using her to take the fall for the watches he stole. Neil says he was not using her, that when he met her, he did not know who she was, but he found out. Emma asks how, and Neil reveals he ran into a friend. Friend. Ugh. Liberal air quotes. Liberal friend. air quotes. Friend of Emma's named August Booth. <laughs> we get a flashback to the night August fucked up their lives when he lifts the box to reveal his typewriter and the words, I know your bail fire, typed on a single sheet of paper. Fuck you, August. Hey, 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 remember how I said from day one that August was noxious human waste? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to pop mm -hmm. in and remind everyone yet again that I was right. That's all oh. I want to say. Yeah, Lynn, Lynn was right. Lynn was right. Thank August, you. Hashtag Lynn was right. August is a life ruiner. Hashtag He's a fun guest. Right. Back at the bar, Emma is furious that Neil left because of what Pinocchio told him. <laughs> Which is a sick line, by <laughs> the way. Was, yeah, that was really a good. very sick burn. I loved her just good. being like, you left because of something Pinocchio <laughs> told you? I was just like, oh, <laughs> damn. Emma, tell us how you really feel. It was beautiful. I also, loved a known liar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Emma tells Neil that she loved him, and Neil seems visibly upset by this. He tells her he was trying to help her get home. Emma asks if he thinks them meeting was a coincidence, that it was not somehow in his or Mr. Gold's plans. Neil explains that if Rumpelstiltskin wanted her to break the curse, them being together was the only thing that could have stopped it, and that it was fate. Emma asks if he believes in fate, and Neil says he believes there are no coincidences. He tells her that maybe they met for a reason, and maybe something good came out of it. Emma hesitates, then says no. Nothing good came from it. She just went to jail. She tells him she is over it and over him. And he asks if that were true, then why does she still wear the keychain that he gave her? 
She yanks it off and hands it to him, telling him she wears it as a reminder never to trust anyone again. She literally yanks off a chain. I see this all the time in like TVs and films. And I'm just like, how? Like, girl, you broke a perfectly good chain, but how? She doesn't feel it. She feels only rage. It's not the first (laughs) time we've seen Emma go Hulk. (laughs) Uh, Jennifer Morrison is so good in this episode. Like, damn, that rage disguising hurt is is palpable, man. So good. Yeah. Emma tells him it's time to go see Gold, that she made a deal with him. Neil's unhappy that she made a deal with him, but Emma brushes it off, saying that she is just upholding her end. Imagine if Emma told Neil the whole story, like, yeah, I made a deal to stop Rumpelstiltskin from selling Cinderella's baby, but you wanted to keep it. Like, could you imagine how that would have played out? No, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't think Neil would have come. He would have been like, nope, we're leaving. I mean, he's probably the one person she could say that to with a straight face who wouldn't think she was insane. Yeah, but he definitely would have been like... Well, now I'm definitely never going to talk to him again. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd be like, he's selling babies? babies? He, he's gone worse. He's it's gone like, worse. oh, 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 my sweet summer child. He's gone worse. You don't know what happened after you left. You don't know about the baby closet. <laughs> the baby closet. Closet of babies. I will keep this podcast consistent. I will do it. <laughs> Neil tells Emma that she does not have to go through with it, and she tells him coldly that she knows. Still, Neil resists and encourages Emma to tell Gold she lost him and that if she does that, she never has to see him again. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin seems rather content as a soldier. He is asked to guard a special crate. Yeah, it's like a crate in on the, the back of a wagon in which is a prisoner they plan to use in the next battle to turn the tide against the ogres. The other soldier warns Rumpelstiltskin to be careful. Rumpel stands watch but cannot resist peeking when the prisoner beneath the tarp calls to him by name. He is shocked and disgusted to discover a young girl whose face has been mutilated with her eyes removed and sewn shut. She asks for water, but Rumpelstiltskin first wants to know how she knew his name. She explains that she is a seer, and she shows him a pair of eyes embedded in her palms. Oh, gross. This is some <laughs> pants labyrinth or shit. Yeah, these visuals are a nightmare, but but in a good way for once. Like, mm-hmm. this is one of the most convincing special effects they've done on the show. It's a mix of practical and CG, and it looks great and genuinely unsettling. It does it's not very look great. It looks gross. <laughs> <laughs> it looks grotesquely good. Yes, it's very unsettling. And like I remember with vivid detail recoiling the very first time I saw this episode. Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the first time I just was like, ew. Nope, like nope. I was like fucking six or something. Nope, nope, nope. Nope, we're out of there. <laughs> Rumble still seems to just put the tarp back down and be like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, been nope, like, nope. Been like, uh uh-uh. uh. Honestly, yeah, he should have just grabbed another soldier and be like, hey, uh, stand here, guard. (laughs) I gotta go. Bob says he wants you to take over over here. He told me to tell you. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, for real, though, he should have just lifted up the tarp solder and go, not today. And just Uh, put it back down. (laughs) Not today, Satan. Goodbye. (laughs) Pretty much. Rumpelstiltskin thinks it's a trick. But when she begins to tell him information about his past that no one could know, he is made to believe. She says she can also see the future, and Rumpelstiltskin seems intrigued but changes his mind, saying he will not indulge in dark magic until the girl claims she has seen something that concerns his wife, Mila. Rumpelstiltskin is concerned, but the seer will not tell him anything unless he gives her water. He does, and the seer explains her vision. He is about to have a son, 
but his actions in the battle that will come will leave his son fatherless. Rumpelstiltskin interprets this to mean that he is going to die on the battlefield and asks how to stop it. She says he cannot prevent it, and he gets angry, telling her he is done helping her and that he does not believe her vision, that she is trying to trick him into deserting. The seer tells him he will know the visions are true when he sees the army ride cows into battle. She repeats the vision and Rumpelstiltskin angrily pulls the tarp over her again. It's kind of nuts because like he gets like very angry, you know, and I'm like, ooh, even though like he has like kind of this facade of like a happy, like a happy guy, like there's still like this anger beneath him. Yeah, we've realized that his anger issues are not a side effect of the Dark One's curse. I think they're enhanced. Yeah, I think they're part of him and they're enhanced by Mm -hmm. the Dark One's curse. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like alcohol. Like you get drunk and you're not going to do something that like part of you didn't already want to do. You just don't have the inhibition anymore. Yes. And I feel like that kind of what it is. It's like he always had this want inside of him. But he had, you know, his conscious being like, don't do it. But then he gets the Dark One's power and it's like, no more Jimmy. Well, now all bets are fucking off and I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. yeah. I also think that, um, and I think this gets much later explained, but you guys know in like Star Trek, Trills? Mm-hmm. Yes. Being the Dark One is like being Trill. Like you are inhabiting all the previous Dark Ones in you. So you've got like all their memories and shit. Yeah. Yep. Symbiote. Symbiote. Yeah. Yeah. And various personality traits and things like that. It's but we'll get into like the Santa Claus. No, it's not just like the Santa Claus. I always thought it was more just like the Santa Claus. No, it's like if, being a if trill. Santa, if Santa dies and you put his suit on, you got to be Santa. Got to be Santa. No. That's you know, if the dark one dies and you put on his suit, you got to be the dark one. <laughs> well, you got to you got to take his dagger. Yeah, that that is his Santa suit. His exactly, dagger. his Santa suit is the dagger. <laughs> That's how you become Santa Dark One. The Dark One Claws. <laughs> yes. The Dark Claws. There you go. Dark, dark Claws. claws. <laughs> He'd love that. He loves legal documents. <laughs> I mean, that's true. <laughs> In Storybrooke, Mary Margaret is on the phone with Emma, who is hysterically recounting what happened with Neil. How much do we love that Emma's first thought is to call her mommy? We love it very much. But can we also talk about how on fleek Snow's dang eyeliner is in this scene? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's she looked amazing. so good. Like, she could cut someone with those wings. <laughs> yeah, I love that Emma's first reaction was just like, Mom, help. Also, look how far Lone Wolf Emma has come. She now has someone to confide in and ask insistence for instead of, like, grumping off by herself running away. It's, it does show her growing as a person that she is willing to ask for help yeah. and not just be like, I know, I got to do everything by myself. She's like, no, mommy, help me. <laughs> well, mommy, and also, I mean, like this weird, <laughs> the very specific advice that she's very indirectly asking for is regarding Henry because Mary Margaret oh. is shocked to discover who Henry's father is, but tells Emma she cannot keep the truth from Henry about his father. And Emma says that she just wants to protect Henry to keep him from getting hurt. But Mary Margaret insinuates the person Emma is protecting is herself. And I think Emma knows that. And she just needs like that voice of reason. Like, again, like a good mom slash friend would tell her it's like, you know, is going to be real with her and tell her like, I know your first instinct is to keep lying and to run and protect. But, you know, that's not what needs to happen now. You know, it shows tremendous growth on Emma's part. I'm proud of her. 
I am too. Like, look at our little girl. I know. Back to Henry and Mr. Gold, who are now waiting inside the apartment foyer. Henry asks Mr. Gold why he is so nervous, that he was excited when he found his mom. Mr. Gold explains that he has more life experience than Henry and that things do not always work out the way you want them to. Henry tells Mr. Gold that the storybook said Rumpelstiltskin can see in the future and asks him why he cannot just look and see what is going to happen. Mr. Gold tells Henry that seeing the inevitable can be a terrible price, that the future is like a puzzle with missing pieces, difficult to read and never what one assumes. After this, Emma enters and tells Mr. Gold that his son got away. By the way, is this the first time that we're hearing that Rumpelstiltskin has like powers of foresight or did we ever get any indication that he has that? <laughs> we never got it I explicit. I don't remember before this episode there ever being any mention of him being like, I don't know, having foresight. I mean, I, I agree that I think they were trying to hint at it in the first season with him like intervening and like trying to interlock all of like these little subtle actions and then big actions that needed to fall into place. You know, like maybe he was getting flashes here and there that he knew he needed to be in a time and a place, you know, to help a certain person out. But I wish it had been a l- slightly more overt before just like info dumping on us. Yeah, this is definitely a this is definitely an info dump. It's not the first time Henry's been like, I have insider knowledge because I've read the book. Right. Y'all should really read the book. And maybe we should all just like, you know, do a chapter a night <laughs> at the <laughs> library. <laughs> So that way you all know what what I know. All right. In Storybrooke General Hospital, Belle is lying dazed in a hospital bed when she is visited by Regina. Regina, you dumb butt. This girl's poor brain is basically scrambled eggs right now. (laughs) Just leave her alone. Like, that's all I could think of. She comes in, she's just like, hi. And I'm like, Regina, (laughs) just turn around and walk out. She's been through enough. Just go away. Just go away. No. No, Belle will never catch a break. She will not. It would not be once upon a time if this poor girl got like, two seconds of a fucking break-in. I know. <laughs> Belle asks who she is, and Regina notes that Belle really has lost her memories. Belle asks if they were friends, and Regina tells her that, hmm, they spent some time together. Lord. I kept you in a tower for like a year, and then I kept you captive in this very hospital for 28 more years. No biggie. No biggie. Hi, bestie. Water under the bridge. <laughs> Regina tells Belle she believes she can help her find something that belongs to Rumpelstiltskin. Belle tells Regina she doesn't know who that is. And Regina enchants Belle to sleep, telling her while she does not know him anymore, she did. She then magically rifles through Belle's purse until she discovers a yellow index card on which the numbers 915.63 are written. So at first I was going to call out that this scene was being superfluous with the magic, but then I realized that this was actually quite ingenious because it not only keeps like the noise a minimum so nobody hears her like rifling through Belle's purse but also her fingerprints are off all the rest of the items so actually not bad at first like "Mm, Regina you're just showing off for nobody but yourself (laughs) (laughs) but no Regina knows crime scenes she probably had to do a lot of research when setting up uh Mary Margaret Mm -hmm. fake uh murder accusation there was a lot of googling Mm -hmm. involved Mm mm-hmm we're Much. watching CSI. Yeah. <laughs> True crime podcasts. True crime podcasts. They didn't have podcasts in 20... Well, 2013, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Because, okay. uh... I mean, they had internet radio shows, but I didn't know if they had, like, podcast podcasts. Yeah, I think... But uh, you're right, they Night did. Night Vale was 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. Night Vale and Mark Maron's WTF. 
Mm-hmm. So I wore big ones then. Okay. Night Vale was my very first podcast. I know um, no one cares, but I wanted to say it. Mine too. <laughs> mine too. It's all of us. Little Shout Night out vale. to Night Vale. Night Vale, I still love you. Blows a kiss to space for Cecil. I know. I am probably now two years behind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I am very, very, very behind. The last episode I listened to was Toast. Oh, God. I think that's around the same time I did. So I'm like, oh, ah, yeah. eons behind. But to be fair, this was a good one. I ended on a very good episode. So yeah. at least I didn't like, you know, end on a cliffhanger where everything was terrible and then like not listen to it forever. At least if there was one episode for me to have stopped at. Toast was very one. good. Yeah. Now I just subscribe to too many podcasts that I'm just like, uh. my <laughs> problem is I don't have my ability to listen to podcasts as much anymore because podcasts were what I listened to when I would drive to work. Oh, and then the panini happened. Yeah. The panini did home. happen. And I work from home. So I no longer have a commute, which is when I would listen to podcasts. Yeah. I got to listen to podcasts for like the first time in like half a year yesterday. Cause I drove to see my parents. And it's about like two hours each direction. What'd you listen to? The Magnus Archives. Oh, I heard that that's good. It's hella good. I mean, if you like, if you don't like horror and are easily creeped out by stuff, I am. Magnus Archives is terrible okay. because um, the main root of the Magnus Archives is that like essentially the big evil they are up against is the source of all human fear. So it basically touches on everything that you could possibly be afraid of. Like there will be an episode that hits your specific phobia. I mean, my, my fear, I wouldn't call it a phobia, but my fear is definitely just death. So I'm thankfully I'm just a basic bitch when it comes fair. to fear. But that is like the basic premise is like the thing that they're up against is right. Like the source of all of it and how it has become more powerful as time has gone on there's been more people so they have more people to be afraid so they have become stronger mm. it's very interesting i love the magnus archives it's also got queer rep so hey shout out magnus archives i love you you spooky bitch <laughs> this has been podcast corner with lynn <laughs> lynn's podcast rex besides her own finger guns hey you can you can put that in your uh what you're loving this week because you drove to your parents house and listened to the magnus archives that's true i can make a note of that although i do think i came up with a pretty good one even (laughs) though it was mostly lisa's suggestion but it was a good one (laughs) as it is what i'm currently enjoying right now also hi salem regina cora and hook are perusing the storybook library the numbers indicate a section of the dewey decimal system meaning they are looking for a book which regina believes will lead them to the dagger's hiding place Regina and Hook are both frustrated when the book in question appears missing. Bakora eases everyone's fears when she discovers a parchment of paper with a crude drawing on it hidden in the book's empty space. She shows it to Hook, and he claims it is a map that no one but a pirate would recognize. Regina's soft, surprised look when Cora said she, like, did well is like, Oh my god, my mom complimented me! Oh, oh honey... Regina is so thirsty for mom praise. Like, I bet there's a big mommy kink in the Swan Queen fandom. Oh, no. I mean, maybe. Also, (laughs) Salem's walking across my keyboard right now. So if you see weird shit, that's why. (laughs) That's okay. I have to actually go run really quick. Oh, good. It'll give me time to scroll back to where we were because he dropped (laughs) me right to the end of the episode. All right. Taking a break. Hi, babe. Hi. How are you doing? I got kind of toasty. You got toasty? Yeah, because I had my sweater and a blanket and a Salem on my lap and a laptop, so I actually kind of got overheaty. I am not toasty. Well, did you have a giant cable knit sweater and a blanket and a Salem on your lap as well as your laptop? 
Nope. All no I barrier. have on my lap is nothing other than my pants. <laughs> no blankie, no Salem, no I'm laptop. Glad you have your pants on your lap. But I got wearing pants at least. I'm so proud of you for wearing pants. <laughs> so proud of you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Meanwhile, David is having an existential crisis over the fact that Rumpelstiltskin is Henry's other grandfather. This scene is such a good, charming, as a delightful himbo moment, though. Because he's like, wait, he's Henry's grandfather? But I'm Henry's grandfather. And Snow, in her infinite patience, is just like, people can have two, dear. Like, Oh, bless this big, sweet dummy and his beautiful, tolerant wife. <laughs> the scene was the cutest. And it just, it's such a perfect, charming himbo grandpa moment. Like, bless his handsome little face. Bless his himbo heart. I I think of this scene, and then I flash back to Snow Falls. And, and just, like, you know, towards the end where you're like, oh, no. I have feels for this dumb man. You know, this <laughs> sweet, dumb man. And it's like, <laughs> oh, honey. You have no idea what you're about to get yourself into. <laughs> but she loves she, her handsome dumb dumb so loves, much. She's like, oh, you're so dumb and handsome. I think I want to keep you. But his she's, heart is right. Yeah, she's she's exactly. That, she's that scene from I think it's Porco Rosso with "You're stupid." I like that in a man. Uh-huh. <laughs> Charming then proceeds to figure out the further complexities of the family tree, noting that Henry's step-great-grandmother is Regina, who is also his adoptive mother. David sighs, it's a good thing we don't have Thanksgiving in our land, because that dinner would suck. However, Mary Margaret seems to think that their familial connections might finally calm everyone down, and that is some wishful drinking right there, Snow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's only gonna get wackier. Yeah. Back in Manhattan, Mr. Gold is frustrated with the lack of results, so he decides to take matters into his own hands, and despite Emma's protests, breaks into his son's apartment to wait for him. Henry decides to be Gold's lookout while Emma reminds Gold there are laws and he could be arrested. Then my son will have to testify against me, Rumple Counters, and we will be reunited. <laughs> also, I love it. She's trying, she's like, don't break in. And Henry's just like, look, she goes, I'll, I'll be lookout. Yeah. <laughs> Henry rolls chaotic neutral people. We've been alluding where he gets this chaos from. And here it is. <laughs> I totally in my notes wrote, Henry rolling chaotic neutral. Grandma's just so like, Henry, no, don't be an accessory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin sees wounded soldiers being brought back from the front. Another soldier remarks that these men are the lucky ones, and Rumpelstiltskin cannot understand why until the soldier explains that they get to go home. As Rumpelstiltskin ruminates over this, their sergeant arrives to inform them that they will not be marching into battle that day, but riding. 
he tells everyone to grab a cow, their local colloquy for leather saddles. And Rumpelstiltskin is horror-struck by the term. He now knows that the seer's prediction was true and rushes off to find her. But when he discovers the crate, he finds it empty. Terrified of dying without ever seeing his son, Rumpelstiltskin spots a mallet leaning against a tree stump. And because he can see no other way out, he uses the mallet to cripple himself. Ugh, the scene was so painful to watch. Like I've, as somebody who has like really suffered from mental health, especially over the last two years and like been in a massive panic spiral, I get it, but it was like extra painful to watch, you know? Yeah, it's very visceral. And you're like, oh, buddy, no, you know? Yeah. Anyway. In Manhattan, Mr. Gold begins to search Neil's apartment for clues, ignoring Emma's continued protestations. He continues searching until he notices Emma transfixed on a dreamcatcher that she recognizes as the same one she found in the hotel room with Neil. Mr. Gold asks her what she has found, and she tells him it's nothing, but he accuses her of holding back and lying to him. Emma asks Henry to wait in the bathroom while she and Mr. Gold can have an argument. But when things begin to escalate, the door bursts open and Neil enters, telling Mr. Gold to leave Emma alone. Mr. Gold is stunned by his son's arrival. Oh, Neil, my sweet boy. I love you so. I love him too. Me too. I just want to pinch his cheeks and be like, oh, I love you so He's much. a good boy. A good boy. Mm-hmm. In the enchanted forest of the past, an exhausted, severely injured Rumpelstiltskin returns home to a despondent Mila holding their infant son. Rumpelstiltskin demands for the baby's name, and she informs him his name is Balefire. When he responds that it is a strong name, she angrily tells Rumpelstiltskin he will need it if he is to grow up with a coward for a father. Rumpel asks what she is talking about, and Mila demands to know if it is true that he injured himself in order to get sent home. Rumpelstiltskin admits it is true and tells Mila a seer told him he would die if he stayed. However, Mila believes that he left because he was afraid to fight because he is a coward, just like his father. Rumpelstiltskin angrily tells her that he did it for their son to save him from the fate of growing up without a father. Mila spitefully says that Rumpel sentenced Balefire to growing up with a worse fate, to have him as a father. Rumpelstiltskin asks what he was supposed to do, and she yells that he could have fought, that he could have died. He is bewildered by her venom. Mila then hands him Balefire and walks out. Rumpelstiltskin cradles him and says it's all right and that he is there and will never, ever leave him. The thing about this scene is that it is a 180 from the opening scene and that the audience is left to fill in the gaps. We have to assume that Mila is not only suffering from postpartum depression, but was taunted mercilessly by her neighbors and the rest of the villagers for Rumpel's actions. Still, it is the culture itself that is wrong in their attitude, not Rumpel and not Mila. They're just victims of it, and I hate it. Oh no, it sucks. And I feel like a lot of people don't take that into consideration and just look at Mila's actions in the scene to be like, oh, she was horrible. Of course she deserved what happened. Right. Oh, they do. Absolutely not the case. And I I know they do because I've seen, I've seen points at the internet. I've seen you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've seen you. I've seen you. I see what you did, villain. (laughs) Well... I don't excuse what she says because, I mean, it is, you know, what she says is horrible. I can only imagine how horrible it was for her in the period of time that we don't get to see and we never see. I don't know. I'll be on my justice for Mila Horse forever, I guess. Yeah, it's really, it's easy. It's easy 
to watch this show and just watch it, right? Yeah, take and it at not, face value. And take yeah. it at face value and not critically think about it and 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 things like that. And just take it as it is and then um and, and participate in fandom with that like face value. And then it's another thing when you're looking at it through the eyes of like critically thinking and going, wait, let's stop and like really think about like what's going on here and like the injustice of what the writers and the showrunners are doing to this character. And like how incredibly difficult it must have been for her to essentially be a single mother at this time because her husband's away at war, Mm -hmm. which means she also gave birth alone. He wasn't there. She had to do all of these things on her own. And it must have been just so incredibly hard and she must have endured so much, but they never show the audience that. Mm -mm. They just want to show her the moments that can make her be the villain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's... It's not just that it does her a disservice. It's deeply lazy to me to just do that with her. Yeah, because like she's like a character of convenience. She's like a a, a costume in a closet that you only take out when you, you know, for special occasions. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's not. Yeah. And real life, like, isn't that black and white? Like exactly. Like she's only there to like had all these other things going on that service. Never yeah, because like to me, Mila is only set dressing in a lot of ways where she's only there to service Rumpelstiltskin's story. Yeah. And and and, and be bail fr- fires. And be fridged for man paying for hook. Yep. Right. Exactly. Mila's whole existence is just to be a plot point for these three men. Yeah. And that's um, so shitty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's she's Balefire's mom. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, and then she's just uh a, a between two men for yeah. their love or affection or whatever you know and she deserves better than to just be defined by the men in her life yeah exactly hashtag justice for mila i also will for mila. i will be on this horse forever back in manhattan mr gold remarks that neil came back for him Ugh. <laughs> oh rumble no <laughs> no neil corrects his father explaining that he came back to make sure emma was not punished for breaking her deal mr gold wants to talk desperately but neil tells him to leave Emma tries to intervene, but Neil will not let her. Mr. Gold realizes that they know each other and demands to know how. But before either can explain, Henry enters the room, calling Emma mom. And if you look at Rumpel, he figures it out immediately. He looks at Henry, holds up a finger, and goes, ah. (laughs) And then (laughs) hangs back and lets the shit show hit the walls. (laughs) Slower on the uptake. Neil asks who Henry is. Emma says that this is her son, but when she tells Henry to go back to the bathroom and tries to escort him back, Neil demands very agitatedly to know how old he is. And Henry shouts that he is 11 and doesn't understand why everyone is shouting. It's so good, though, because Henry is just like done in this scene because he just keeps getting shoved back in the bathroom. So his response pretty much is like, I'm 11. You want to fucking fight about it? And I love him. Because he's just so at the end of his damn rope at this point. It's so good. Yeah. Henry is so good in the scene. Props to Jared. I don't think he gets enough props on the internet for acting good. He do good. He does good. Yeah, I know. He does so I, good in this episode. We yeah. proud him. He good. We proud him. He good. Okay. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Anyways, Jared, you do great this episode. I just think this this kid is awesome. He's fabulous and we love him. Neil surmises the truth and asks Emma if Henry is his son. 
Henry recounts the lie that Emma told him, that his dad was a fireman who died. But when Neil asks again, Emma cannot continue the lie. She tells him Henry is his son. Shocked and angry, Henry climbs out the window onto the fire escape. Emma goes after him, leaving Neil and Mr. Gold alone. Mr. Gold asks for the chance to be heard, and Neil tells him to GTFO. Mr. Gold tells him that Emma's deal is not fulfilled until Neil talks to him. Neil agrees to give Mr. Gold three minutes. Ugh, the scene is such an amazing scene. And Jared is toe for toe, just as strong as these three adult actors. Like the whole scene is fraught with delicious emotional tension that I love to gobble up. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Back at Storybrook Hospital, Greg Mandel is on his phone, presumably with her. He tells her that he has been cleared to leave, but that he plans to stick around. Then he sends her a video that he has taken of Regina in Belle's room using magic to go through her purse. I hate you, Greg. I also just want to pipe in and call bullshit because uh, on that era of cell phone, that video wouldn't have looked like anything. <laughs> like, congrats on the pixelated horseshit you just sent your lady, you stupid bastard. It could be an <laughs> elephant for all she'd be able to tell. No, I re- honestly, it would have been different if like, if he was using like, it would have been like, I think like an iPhone three at that time, maybe he wasn't, it's like a fucking black. No, but, but, but no, no, no. It was like a, it was like a fucking flip phone or something. Yeah. Like, and I was just like, uh, <laughs> I, cause I remember my friends trying to send me video, like show me videos they had taken on those phones. And I'd be like, what am I looking at? Oh, man. <laughs> what is it? And they'd be like, it's a concert. And I'd be like, oh, mm. I would not have gotten there on my own. So yeah, I, I'm calling big old bullshit because I remember that technology and it was not good. Mm-mm. Meanwhile, in the library, Hook is using a local map to decipher where the dagger is hidden. He finds the location and Cora praises him for his work, but then says that she and Regina will take it from there, grabbing the map and heading for the door. Furious, Hook goes after them, but Cora sends him flying into a bookshelf with a wave of her hand, knocking him unconscious and telling him that Rumpelstiltskin's dagger is much too powerful to be wasted on him. The amount of times this man spends on the floor after having his ass handed to him. My God. <laughs> I never noticed it the first time around, but now I laugh every time Gillian is reunited with his true love, the floor. I mean, it's going to be part of the drinking game. I, oh, I, need yeah. to ma- I need to definitely make a season two drinking game. I'm concerned about this drinking game. I don't think my liver can stand it. Magic comes with a price. <laughs> and it's my liver. Captain Floor. I'm uh, trying to think of what, what other things could send us. Belle ne- never uh, catching a break. <laughs> when Regina questions her motives, Cora tells her daughter her plan to get the dagger and make Rumpelstiltskin kill Snow White, Prince Charming, and Emma, thereby removing all of their enemies in a way that leaves Regina perfectly innocent in Henry's eyes. Regina seems genuinely touched by this completely facata idea. Aw, thanks, Mom. (laughs) Back in Manhattan, Emma approaches a visibly distraught Henry. Henry wants to know why she did not tell him about his father, but when she tries to explain who Neil was, Henry tells her he could have handled the truth. Emma tells Henry she did not want to remember that part of her life, but Henry is still quite hurt and tells Emma that she lied to him, just like Regina. Yikes. Low fucking blow, kid. Emma is clearly upset by this allegation and apologizes. And Henry tells her that he wants to meet his dad. Apprehensively, Emma agrees. Meanwhile, inside the apartment, Mr. Gould tries to explain himself to Neil, who is less than receptive. 
Mr. Cole tells him that there is no worse pain than regret, and Neil responds that abandonment is worse. That was a pretty sweet punch right there. Mr. Gold explains that he wants to make it up to Neil and that if Neil were to return with him to Storybrook, he could return Neil to 14 years of age and they could start over. Neil is understandably disturbed by this idea. Yeah, it's pretty ick. Yeah. No. I am a grown man. uh, No. You just learned to have a son. I just learned to have a son. Yeah, gross. He's like, you can nope away from that responsibility. Just be a child again. Mr. Gold says that he only wants another chance and that Neil loved him once. Neil tells him that was because Mr. Gold was once a good man. Mr. Gold claims that he wants to be that man again and asks for another chance. Neil accuses his father of using magic to make up for his failings and that it didn't work then and it will not work now. Neil tells him that for more years than he can count, the last image he saw every night before he fell asleep is the moment Rumpelstiltskin let go of his hand and how it felt when Mr. Gold let him go into that portal alone and choosing magic over him. Neil says it's his turn to let go, denying both of them closure. Mr. Gold tries to apologize, but Neil will not hear it. He tells Mr. Gold that his time is up and walks away. Goddamn, this scene was uncomfortable. Like, poor Neil. I feel for him so much because Rumpel... He's not changed yet in the way that Neil deserves. Like, I know he wants to, but he's he's not there, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, the way that Michael Raymond James, the way he delivers the line, like, so this is me letting go. Oh, fuck. Hit, hit me right in the feels, right in the feels. He's so good. He's really so good. good. So good in this so whole good. scene. So good. So good. He's such a good actor and I love him so much. I know. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin is now the dark one, having just lost Balefire. He enters a clearing where he discovers the blind seer, now an adult. Great. So glad Hand Eyeballs is back. <laughs> <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin accuses her of leaving out important details, but she claims it would not have mattered, that knowing would not have changed his fate. Rumpelstiltskin responds that she cannot either and begins to choke her. She correctly surmises he came to find his son. He tells her he did and releases her so she can draw upon her powers. She tells him that he will find Balefire and Rumpelstiltskin impatiently asks how and warns her not to leave out any details. She tells him it will not be an easy path and that it will take many years, as well as a curse cast by someone else and broken by somebody else. She then says she cannot tell him anymore that even her powers are... Yes, Kermit? (laughs) Hello there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> someone friend someone had an opinion <laughs> he's got opinions Hi. she then says she cannot tell him anymore that even her powers are not that strong rumpelstiltskin begins to choke her again and she tells him that he can see the path he must take but it requires taking her burden her burden of course being her powers rumpelstiltskin agrees and the pair join hands and the power flows into him The seer screams in agony and falls to the ground, dying. Back in Manhattan, Emma approaches Neil and tells him Henry wants to meet him. Neil confronts her for not telling him about Henry, and Emma does not apologize for her choices, as she should not. (laughs) Asshole, you left. Who, like, how was I supposed to tell you? Exactly. Like, Emma had no no way to contact him, no way to contact him, and thought he set her up to be arrested because he did. August made him. But still, he did do that. 
Neil, I love you, but you did do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You listen to Pinocchio, you dumb you shit. Listen to Pinocchio. 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 <laughs> Pinocchio. Neil tells her that she cannot make that decision by herself. Emma snaps that he should go talk to him, but then gently adds not to break Henry's heart. Neil assures her that he is not going to do what his father did to him. But when Emma interjects that Neil did the same thing to her, he admits that they are all messed up, but that they should avoid being that way with Henry. Emma agrees, and Neil goes outside to talk to Henry. As Neil approaches his son, Henry introduces himself. Neil apologizes that it took so long to meet him, but Henry says that it's fine, as Neil was unaware. (laughs) Ugly sobbing, ugly sobbing. Neil and Henry meeting is the most adorable little quiet scene. Like, Neil just looking at him being like, holy shit, WTF, BBQ. It's so legitimately sweet. They're just, they're both such good boys, and I absolutely adore them. They're so soft. Yeah, this scene is so very, very soft. And like you said, I love how how quiet it is and like understanding. Uh, it's a it's a good scene. I love the way that Neil rests his head on his arms and just looks at Henry in quiet awe. Like he doesn't have to say anything. He's just like, wow, you know. Uh, yeah, so it's really cute. It's He's just really like cute. He's just like in awe of this little person that he helped create. Mm-hmm. Back inside the apartment, Gold gazes out the window at the pair on the fire escape. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin is having a difficult time understanding the seer's powers. The seer repeats what Mr. Gold said to Henry about the future being a puzzle. She tells him that he must learn to separate what will be from what can be. Rumpelstiltskin accuses her of tricking him into taking the powers to save her from torment. She assures him that in time he will work it all out. She then gives him one last piece of the puzzle before she dies, that he will find his son, but that the boy who helps him is more than he appears and that there will be a price, that the boy will also be Rumpelstiltskin's undoing. Passively, Rumpelstiltskin tells her that he will just have to kill the boy. This is where I stop enjoying this episode and call bullshit. In Manhattan, both Emma and Mr. Gold are watching Neil and Henry on the fire escape. Mr. Gold's expression is unreadable. Don't you fucking touch Henry Rumpelstiltskin. I'll kick your ass. End credits. Okay, first off, I just have to say that Merlin loved this episode. She watched the whole thing with us. Aw. Noah did not. He turned his back on the TV and went the fuck to sleep. And Salem never came into the living room. So it's only one out of three cats approved. Apparently Merlin is a Neil fan. I mean, sounds like Kermit like, is too. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes we have an episode that's just really solid and I have very little to say. I've been looking forward to this episode on rewatch and it's still great. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's a really good one. It's really interesting. It's really engaging. Um, there's so many plot threads that come together here. I think this is one of the Kitsuitz's stronger episodes. We also have stellar performances from Jennifer, Robert, Michael, and Jared. And it's just, it's made out of so many of these little moments in the present day Manhattan storyline. And those scenes are just a pleasure to watch. It's a, it's a pretty solid one. I don't think it's a surprise that I fucking love this episode because my embargo on talking about Grandpa Stiltskin is finally over with. But um, I will say this. The thing that bothers me is that... In the previous episode, we established that Emma was bringing Henry, right? Yeah. If this whole seer thing was known to him 
about like the boy who will lead him to his son will be his undoing blah 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 gold would not have let henry go like you would have been like mm, no yeah but well, do you, say you go first, first things first you're really putting an awful lot of faith in the writers to have some <laughs> sort of consistency which we've time and time again proven i know but it they do bothers not. me so much oh no you can be bothered by it I, it bothers the me cows so come home i know i know i know but i shouldn't be surprised or no that's, that's on my, it. my first point is you're putting a lot of you're putting a lot of faith in something that I has know. proven it, again and again uh, like you're 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 charlie brown with the football yeah. To, to Lucy's be, gonna take it away from you every time. To be to be Charlie Brown with the football over here, it could be intentional because the Mr. Gold we had last episode and the last couple episodes was so desperate and so yeah. unhinged that to him the important part is a boy will lead me to my son. Right. So being like, okay, the boy is coming, that to him from things we've seen before. There are people, Mr. Gold, even if he likes them, are willing to sacrifice to yeah. get what he wants. Yeah. I mean, that's that's even what, you know, happened with Bay. He gave up Bay to keep his power. Like, this is something he has done. This is one of his his fatal flaws, right? His his mm-hmm. his flaws in his character is that even if he likes someone, he cares for someone, he will sacrifice them to get what he wants. So it could be an intentional thing that he, yes, he did let Henry go with them, even though he knew that. Because he knew that a boy is how he finds his son. Yeah. Am I giving them too much credit? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're both being Lucy. No, being we're Charlie both Charlie Brown. Brown. You're, you're, you're both Brown. Charlie Brown. They're like, they're, they're Lucy. Lucy. They're yeah. Lucy holding the football. Uh, all right. I can't think too hard on it because yeah, otherwise I'll just get angry. So yeah. Also, maybe he doesn't remember. Yeah, that's true. I feel like a, like a lot of things like he's like, uh, he's like, oh shit, that's right. You know, like, oh, fuck. Like, he's just remembering it. Yeah, because it's things like that where I feel like in the height of his dark wondom were insignificant to him. Dark wondom. His dark wondom. <laughs> his, like, dark one Yeah, that's days, true. Right? Until, until after No More Bay and until Belle was in his life, he didn't care about shit. So maybe no. he just didn't even remember. And then, like, finally in that moment it was like, oh my god a, yeah. a boy led me to him it's henry yeah then that's kind of that actually does sort of line up with like that unreadable expression because it does kind of look like oh <laughs> yeah it doesn't look like okay now i'm gonna kill this boy no it's it just looks, more it's I, it's more like oh shit yeah like i kind of read like like i read some regret in there you know like mm-hmm. this realization that uh-oh now i'm remembering that piece of the prophecy you know mm-hmm. all right Cool. Okay. That's what I'm going to settle with. That will help me sleep at night now. All right. <laughs> I'm glad I could help. Thank you. <laughs> Look at you. I, Lynn, I see why you're marrying this woman. So, you know, she climbed That's you- what it took. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty lame other than honey. Uh, no. Uh, rationalizing. Um, I'm just saying like, you know, take <laughs> like the ability to talk your loved ones off the ledge of fandom fanon over analytical she, bullshit she has she has had to hear me go on many a weird rant yeah i try my best although she usually just like lets me tire myself out when it's me. <laughs> <laughs> well often 
I don't, I can't bring that insight because I like to hear your thoughts of like horror stuff and I don't actually watch that with you. So I just listen to you. She, she got to just sit there and listen to my long tangent about original Suspiria versus new Suspiria for like two hours a couple weeks ago. Which one do you prefer? Original. Okay. Original Suspiria is one of my favorite horror movies ever. The short version of my rant, because this is not the place for it. (laughs) But the short version of my rant was I would have liked it a lot better if they had just been like, this is a completely different movie that was inspired by Suspiria. Yeah. And didn't call it Suspiria. Sure. And didn't claim it was Suspiria because it wasn't Suspiria. So if you take that out of it, it's a perfectly decent movie on its own merit. But when it's supposed to be Suspiria, it isn't. And that's what made me angry. I get you. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's There's a few cases like that, I think, with like movies and TV. Like, if you called it oh, yeah. something else and, like, had been, like, this movie was inspired by the 1977 film Suspiria, I'd have been, like, cool, aces, I can see how we got there. But being, I, like, no, this is Suspiria, I'm, like, I'm going to have to stop you there. It's not Suspiria. <laughs> that was one of the ones that Elisa just let me tire myself out because I definitely talked for, like, I think at least an hour about, like, the compare and contrast of the two <laughs> movies and why one's better than the other. And she hasn't seen either, so she kind of just had to let me go. Mm. until i just like tired myself out and curled up and went to sleep you're like okay i've got it out my system you're like now i feel better and i can conk out (laughs) it's all right i have to do that too okay costumes costumes so do we love chorus power suit i do because it's like really hella stylish and it's cut to a t on her like it is a slim cut I also like that it is a visual cue that she is trying to show solidarity with Regina. Like, oh, is this how the powerful badass bitches dress in this world? Cool. Yeah. I'll adapt. Just it's like she adapted to Wonderland. It is a mom. Oh my God. It is a mommy and me outfit. Oh my like, God. She's like, look, honey, I got us mommy and me outfits. <laughs> mommy and me power suits. Yay. Uh, also, Snow's ice blue cozy sweater. Oh, so beautiful. It's really cute. It's really cute. You rarely see sweaters in that like icy aqua color. It's really Mm -hmm. nice. It's really cute. I do want to talk about the first scene more in depth. There is a sadly defunct Tumblr called OAT Costumes. And the narrator discussed costumes of the early seasons, and they go into a lot of detail for Rumpelstiltskin and Mila's outfits. The author notes that their clothes in, and their home in this scene, so their home is like filled with all these like little trinkets, and it denotes a successful working class. Uh, Mila's clothes are very soft, they're clean, and importantly, some of them are patterned. And while Rumple is wearing layers with different fabrics and even some tiny frills, like his little peasant cravat, you know, it's not wealth by any means but they are living very comfortably and what i think that the show really fails to convey is that one rumble did not need to prove himself in battle because he had already won like air quotes won by being a successful honest man with an honest trade you know and his and his father was not that and two the villagers did not want to associate with him after he hobbled himself and fled from war He lost money, he lost his trade, and he had to resort to spinning, which wasn't as lucrative as weaving. Mila continued to wear her finest clothes until they were rags that we saw in the crocodile. Like she still piled on kind of like all of her finery, like when she went out to the tavern and met Hook, but it was all like a bit worse for wear, you know, because it's been a few years. 
I don't think the show does a good job conveying like how Mila and Rumpelstiltskin were probably actively shunned. Yeah, it's never really shown. Mm-mm. Only kind of talked about. Only and- talked about, and that's unreliable narrator. I I don't I don't like hearsay. You know, like I want to see it. All right. Well, now it's time to play Who's That Guest Star, in which we discuss guest stars. In season two, episode 14, we have Bridget Fleming as the young seer. Fleming has enjoyed a smattering of credits in film and television with such titles as Gamer, Dog with a Blog, Weeds, The Mentalist, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and The Burrowers. Then we have Shannon Lucio as the adult seer. Lucio is best known for her roles in The O.C., Prison Break, The Gates, Grey's Anatomy, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., True Blood, American Horror Story, and Supernatural. Fun fact, Shannon Lucio was Lindsay on the OC, who was the illegitimate daughter of Caleb from the OC, who we also know as the crap bag King George. What a connection. What a connection. So maybe uh, the seer, well, no, timelines don't match up. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of connections, Elisa. (gasps) Shall we connect the timeline with the once upon a timeline? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the bulk of this episode's flashbacks are actually the earliest we've seen Rumpelstiltskin so far, which means these are the flashbacks that are the farthest back on the timeline that we've seen to date. Everything we see here up to Rumpelstiltskin holding Baby Bay takes place before the early flashbacks we see in season two, episode four, The Crocodile. And then the final flashbacks in this one Uh, where Rumpelstiltskin, now as the Dark One, meets the older seer. Those follow the flashbacks we see in Season 1, Episode 19, The Return, as that episode is where we see Rumpelstiltskin refuse to go with Balefire to the land without magic. And in this episode here, we do see him talking about having lost everything and looking for a way to find Bay. All right, should we do our share and tell, our new segment where each narrator shares something they're loving this week? Yes. Yeah. How about you start, Lynn? What's your thing? I mean, I guess it's not a big thing, but it is for me. So my big thing this week is that it's been super rainy, which I love anyway, but it also has made Salem be super snuggly with me, which is pretty much my favorite thing in the whole universe because I'm obsessed with him. (laughs) It's been very cute. He's my boy. And the Magnus Archives. And the Magnus Archives. Shout out to the Magnus Archives, you spooky bitch. Go listen to it. <laughs> my big thing is that my Rumbell Secret Santa fanfic was a big hit with my giftee. And my own gifted fic was an absolute delight. And thank you so much, Wooby Nation, because I know you're listening. Thanks so much for being my, my Santa and for becoming a listener. Yay! Yay! In your Dark One Claws? Yes. Yes, we'll, dark one. Yes, we'll be, yep. Wooby we'll Nation was my dark one clause. <laughs> this week, I'm loving the fact that I actually have the week between Christmas and New Year's off from work for once. So I haven't been doing much of anything, and it's so nice. So nice. So nice. Of course, by the time this airs. <laughs> by the time this airs, I'll be doing stuff again. Never we'll be mind. Back to work when this one airs. By the time this airs, I will all be working, and I'll no longer be lasted. relaxed. It was fun while it lasted. Pouring out to our week off. <laughs> I miss mm. you, week off. I miss you already. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, upon discovering Cora and Regina's plan to find and take possession of Rumpelstiltskin's dagger, Mary Margaret, with the aid of David and Mother Superior, ugh, makes it her mission to find it first. 
And while Mr. Gold continues his quest to reunite with his son, Balefire, Hook devises a plan to rid himself of a crocodile. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale land that was, the blue fairy offers Snow White an unconventional enchantment that could help save her dying mother, Queen Ava. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, if a girl with eyeballs in the palm of her hands offers to tell you your future, just say, not today, Satan, and walk away. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. I'm going to eat cheese and crackers after we record. I'm hungry still. That sounds good. Want cheese and crackers after we record? Yeah. I'll make you up a nice Cracker Barrel cheese plate and me a nice vegan cheese plate. You're going to leave this in the episode. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I can. It's be like the interlude of us talking about cheese and crackers. Cheese and crackers.